Welcome to Worship with the Old Presbyterian Meeting House in Alexandria, Virginia, brought to you at a time when we join you in practicing social distancing to curb the pandemic virus. This sermon podcast is from our online virtual worship service that you can find through our website at opmh.org. We pray that in the not-too-distant future we will welcome you in person when you visit us in Old Town, Alexandria. Good morning, and welcome to this online worship service with the Old Presbyterian Meeting House in Alexandria, Virginia. Wherever you are, we are glad that you are with us today as we worship God and seek God's will for our lives. The Lord be with you. Let us worship God together. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Listen for the word of God. 
Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Who do you say that the Son of Man is? This may be the most important question you and I will ever be asked. Our answers determine how we live and act, how we treat other people, and how we care for the earth. Our answers reveal what we stand for and on what or who we are willing to stake our faith. Like it or not, this question brings us to one of those uncomfortable, but oh so necessary, come to Jesus moments. I want you to take some time to imagine Jesus walking into the crowd of protesters and riot police, accompanied by various political and military leaders gathered around Lafayette Square, and asking everyone there, who do you say that I am? Imagine Jesus walking up to people in Portland, Chicago, Louisville, and Charlottesville, and asking everyone on the streets of those cities, who do you say that I am? Of course, it is not enough to imagine Jesus asking others this question. We have to imagine Jesus asking us this question and then taking him seriously enough to answer him truthfully. To paraphrase Caroline Lewis, there can be no more playing it safe, no more silence, no more hiding behind vague theological commitments, no more letters or petitions or statements alone. It is not just what the church or its pastors say that counts, but what you say. Questions of identity are at the center of the Gospels. And as Eric Barreto points out, the Gospel writers are not just interested in correctly defining who Jesus is, but also in shaping a community of people molded in light of his actions and teachings. And so, says Barreto, these questions of identity are not just matters of definition, but of formation, not just doctrine, but discipleship. In other words, our beliefs are meant to inform and shape 
our lives. To acknowledge Jesus as our Lord and our Savior is to follow his way, speak his truth, and live his kind of life. Perhaps now you can understand why I said this question brings about a come to Jesus moment. And if Jesus' question doesn't cause you to sit up and take notice, well, then I'm not sure what will. It bears noting that Jesus asked this question in Caesarea Philippi, a city situated some 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It was near a trade route connecting Tyre in the west to Damascus in the northeast. A nearby cave housed a great spring that fed one of the sources of the Jordan River. That particular cave had long served as a sanctuary dedicated to the Greek god Pan. Greek inscriptions and niches carved into the rock suggest dedications to other pagan gods as well. And there were other signs of power and authority on display in that area. According to historians, some 20 years or so before Jesus' birth, Herod the Great had built a temple near the cave in honor of Caesar Augustus. And by the time Jesus and his disciples visited that region, Caesarea Philippi had been put under the authority of one of Herod's sons, Philip the Tetrarch, who made it the administrative center of his government. And by the time the Gospel of Matthew was written, people were keenly aware that this was the city where the Roman commander returned with his troops after destroying Jerusalem in 70 CE. Thus, as one commentator notes, Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? hangs in the air at the intersection of economic trade, religion, and the power of the empire. It is a question not simply about Jesus's identity, as if getting the titles right would earn somebody an A on the Messianic quiz. No, it's a question of allegiance. In what or who, in whom will the followers of Jesus place their trust? Will it be in the privileges deriving from access to power and wealth? Will it be in the worship of a prevailing culture's latest idols? Will it be in allegiance to the dominant power of earthly rulers? Or will they trust Jesus, the one who reveals the mercy and justice of the living God? Well, I wonder if we can hear these questions as being addressed not just to Jesus' first disciples, but to us. I wonder if we can understand that like the first disciples, we must decide in what or in whom we will place our trust. I fear many of us cannot. Out of all the disciples, it is Peter who steps up and speaks out. He figures out right then and there what he believes, and then he says it out loud. If we can hear Jesus' question 
as being addressed to us. If we can understand that we must decide in what or in whom we will place our trust, then like Peter, we must answer the question and we must do so now in this moment when so much is at stake. As Lewis puts it, hearing the question means answering the question, not waiting to weigh the evidence, not waiting to decide what's the best side to be on, not waiting to leverage the best possible outcomes for ourselves. For as Martin Luther King pointed out almost 50 years ago, too many of us have been more cautious than courageous and have remained silent behind the anesthetizing security of our stained glass windows. Peter is the first person to acknowledge Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of the living God. As Matthew tells it, Peter's confession is in stark contrast to conventional thinking. Most people, we are told, see Jesus as simply another John the Baptist or Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Peter seems to be the only one who gets it, but he doesn't get it by himself. Jesus says he gets it from God. And then Jesus blesses Peter for stepping up and speaking out. And not only that, with an interesting play on words, Jesus calls Peter, Petros, a rock, Petra, on whom he promises to build his church. Parenthetically, it is interesting to note that Matthew is the only gospel writer to use the word church. Something to keep in mind as we contemplate what it means for us and other church members to bind and loose things on earth. But that's best left for another sermon. For now, I think it is enough to know that Jesus' promise to build his church on Peter is not given to him as a reward for his faith, but because there was and there still is a need for the church to be his body at work in the world. And Jesus' blessing of Peter is likewise not given for Peter's personal benefit, but so that he and other members of his church could be a source of blessing for others. To paraphrase Lewis, <clears throat> Jesus does not say he will build his church on Peter because he got the right answer, but because Peter spoke up. According to Jesus, the church is not the church when it stays silent. When people's lives are at stake, cautious silence is not an option. And make no mistake about it, People's lives are at stake right now. Jesus knew this. Lives are at stake when Jesus' church cannot figure out how to make bold stands and then act them out. As Peter reminds us, 
Jesus is the Son of the living God, the Word made flesh, who suffers alongside of us, who loves us enough to take a stand and to act on it, knowing full well where that will lead him, to a cross. I believe this Son of the living God loves all people equally. I believe this Son of the living God wants us to do the same. I believe this Son of the living God wants you and wants me to take bold stands and act them out, to step up and to speak out against the corrupt and corrupting policies of the modern empire. I believe the Son of the living God wants and expects us to bind up the things that have gone awry and to loose the things that have been kept under wraps for far too long. I believe this is our come to Jesus moment. There can be no more playing it safe, no more silence, no more excuses. May God help us to seize this moment and use it not just for our sakes, but for the sake of the world and all the people God loves. Amen. This is your come to Jesus moment. Therefore, I charge you to be watchful, to stand firm in your faith, to be courageous and strong, and to let all that you say and do be done in love. And so may the blessings of God come not just to you, but to all people, now and forever. Amen.